Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? And how can we best embody that aliveness while dealing with the unique stressors that we're facing in this strange and potent time? My name is Brett Kane. I'll be your host in this journey. And this week's episode is one of the book explorations that I'd like to do in the off weeks in between guests. So this is something I started uh, back in the fall of 2021. Uh, I read a lot of books, so I really wanted a way to share the information that I was accumulating and to dive a little bit deeper into the things that have actually really been a benefit of my life. So for the first year, or the first episode of this year for the book exploration, we're going to be taking a look at Mary Bond's New Rules of Posture. So this is a book that I found early, early last year. I think it was about February. And as a body worker, I immediately was really impressed by this book and what it is trying to do. Uh, for anybody who is interested in changing the way that they feel in their body by bringing a greater degree of awareness to the subtle sensations that allow them to gracefully move through space, this book is huge. So if you are at all interested in fitness, if you're interested in body work, if you're interested in sports, dancing, uh, yoga, meditation, literally anything that involves being in your body, this book right here is one of the most important books I've found of last year. Uh, the stuff that's contained in here has greatly changed my life in a very palpable and real way. And I really wanted to take a moment today to just hang out with you a little bit and kind of go over what exactly is covered in this book and to share some of the really powerful exercises. So this is probably going to be a little bit of a longer video just by the nature of it being one where we're going to be doing some exercises together. There's a lot of practices in this book that I think are really immediately beneficial. And if you take the time to dedicate uh, whatever length of time it takes to go through this video, I think you're going to feel exactly what I'm talking about when I say this book is powerful. So before we get too into it, I just want to start by saying, uh, yeah, this is probably going to be a little bit longer of a video. And it's going to be one that requires you to actually get engaged. So we're going to be stopping um, the exploration to actually do some of these practices, and I will walk you through them. I'm not going to be doing every one because there's a lot in this book, but I'm going to do enough to where you can kind of get a sense for what she's going for and hopefully inspire you to look into Mary Bond's work. She's a structural integrationist uh, who has a really brilliant TED Talk on YouTube that you can look up after this video, but really what this book is doing is trying to show you experientially the relationship between your perceptions, your mind, and your posture, and how the real way to change our posture to alleviate pain and to move more gracefully is by attuning our perceptions into the subtle sensations in the body. And when you have this experiential understanding of the way that you're holding your body, your unique posture, the moment you have that understanding, your body will naturally over time shift and will actually be more pain-free. So it's really stinking powerful if you have back pain, if you're constantly on your feet, if you sit down a lot. I'm going to show you one of the practices in here that literally changed the way that I sit forever. Like the moment that I did it, I felt it and I literally can't go back. It's powerful stuff. So the way that this video is going to end up working is I'm going to read a little bit of this book to you and then I'm going to take a moment. Uh, we could either talk about it or we could just go right into the practice, but I'm going to start by covering some stuff in the introduction so you can kind of get a feel for, in her words, what she's trying to do and what she's trying to point you to. Uh, which kind of creates like the view that allows us to actually sink into these practices a little bit more effectively. And then we're going to do a section of every chapter. So these chapters are broken down into uh, six posture zones that I will discuss uh, as a part of the reading for the introduction. Um, and before we get into those, we're going to do a little bit of awareness training as well. So that kind of sets the stage for the level of self-inquiry that we are then going to be using to navigate the different levels of our body. So this is a fun episode for me. This is something I'm really passionate about. This book is it, chef's kiss. It's really good. 
so without any further ado, because this is going to be a little bit longer, I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, we are starting off in the introduction. So this is really where she's just kind of saying hello and kind of giving you a little insight into her voice and what she's trying to do. So I'm just going to start and then we'll go from there. So most people think about posture as the body's alignment or position when sitting or standing still. Good posture is commonly defined in terms of the contours of the upper body, the chest, shoulders, spine, and neck. Although pe people may be aware that balance over the feet has something to do with good posture, this usually is not what they consider first. If this is your definition, I'd like to help you expand it. I see posture not as how you hold your body when you're still, as how you carry it while you're moving. This distinction reveals posture to be a dynamic activity rather than a static attitude. Your posture is generated by your movement, by the way you carry yourself as you proceed through your life. To determine whether your posture is healthy or not, I would want to see how you move, and I would consider the movement of your entire body from soles to crown. Healthy posture is characterized by an easy grace, with movement flowing effortlessly from limbs and trunk. The movement of somebody with unhealthy posture looks disconnected and labored. Your posture emerges from your interactions with the world around you. It emerges out of how you orient yourself to the events of your life, how those events feel in your body, and how you move toward or away from the people or things involved. In time, your responses program the way you stand and move. In addition to being shaped by your personal history, posture is also influenced by cultural and religious standards, by geographical features such as crowded streets or open terrain, by weather and clothing, and by media images that dictate what is attractive. Underlying all these relationships with the world is another more foundational one, your relationship with gravity. Our bodies are inherently unstable because they are designed for mobility. The skeleton, basically an assemblage of struts, stilts, and levers, has hundreds of mobile joints. The muscles and other tissues that bind the skeleton together and the organs contained within are nearly 70% water, making them even more mobile. The instability of this design renders our bodies plastic enough to adapt to the internal fluctuations of breathing, digestion, and other life processes, as well as to the variety of positions we assume as we move about. However, without some means of securing such a mobile arrangement against gravity's downward pull, it would be impossible to take a single step. Gravity, as Sir Isaac Newton told us long ago, dictates falling. For the most part, we do not fall because our bodies are programmed to negotiate with gravity. As we grow, creeping and crawling our way onto two legs, the nervous system coordinates our motions with increasing sophistication. As toddlers, reaching out for a bright red ball, we pushed against the ground, first with knees and later with feet, as we struggled to outwit gravity and move toward our goal. Through trial and error, we learned to stabilize our bodies so we could control our limbs and move with purpose. Once walking, we then figured out how to run and play and work, always poised between falling and not falling. We cannot separate posture from movement or activity from how we stabilize our bodies in order to act. How we stabilize ourselves determines our posture and the freedom, efficiency, and grace with which we move. The essence of posture, then, is the unique way in which each of us negotiates between moving and holding still in relationship to gravity. So that is uh, the most bare bones description of what posture is and how we can best determine whether or not we have healthy or unhealthy posture. So as a body worker, this is called gait analysis. As soon as we see a client, we are seeing the ways that they walk, whether or not they have a um, sort of kind of dysfunctional movement pattern, whether one leg is longer than the other, whether or not their shoulders are aligned, if they have kind of a, a limp. A lot of people do, even if you're considered healthy. These minor, small things all affect the overall picture. So that's kind of what this is pointing out to. So she then goes on, I'm skipping a little bit, uh, to the six healthy posture zones. And this is kind of the overall premise of the book and the way that she divides these exercises from the feet all the way to the head. So conventional programs focus on reshaping your body's outer form. They teach you to align your body along a vertical line through your ears, shoulders, hips, and ankles, the line of gravity's pull, and to strengthen muscles to maintain that alignment. While it is true that most people hold their bodies behind gravity's axis, 
Simply positioning the body more forward is merely mechanical adjustment. It does nothing to change your perceptual relationship with gravity or the world around you. The activity of changing your perceptions is what makes changes in pos posture more sustainable. Through the perceptual approach presented in this book, you will realize that healthy posture, posture is not an ideal shape in which you must strive or even something you must do differently with your body. Instead, it is something different that you learn to feel. By approaching postural change from the inside out, the new rules of posture help you develop new sense memories for what feels balanced and stable. These sensations automatically bring your body into alignment with gravity. For most people, this means that their bodies will balance more forward over their feet. Their bodies will also lengthen and be taller. The new rules of posture helps you explore six regions of your body involved in creating open or closed stability, depending on how you use these regions. The posture zones include your breathing, muscles, abdomen, pelvic floor, hands, feet, and head. The first three of these key areas are structures that contain your body's core and through which you stabilize yourself internally. The last three help you orient and relate to the world. The six regions are connected anatomically, so activity, tension, or release in any other area affects the other ones. That's very important for anybody who is dealing with chronic pain and understanding that everything is connected. <laughs> the way you hold yourself up does also change the way that you reach out and act within the world, and vice versa. Um, by learning to cor correct use of each posture zone, you build an open stabilization within your body and open orientation of the world around you. As you work with the posture zones, you will identify tensions that close and compress your body. You will replace closing tensions with sensations of stability and with new ways to orient yourself to situations and people. Gradually, you will exchange closure for an open stability that feels more secure because it lets you move freely. Also, because posture is generated by movement, the way you move will change. In these ways, you will restore your body's natural alignment. Then, with gravity as a dynamic partner, you will raise your potential for grace, efficiency, and vitality. So, approaching your posture from the inside out, you will not be trying to train your muscles into assuming the ideal shape. Instead, you'll be developing sensations and perceptions that allow healthy posture to occur. So this will involve a different kind of exercise than what you're normally used to. So your ability to focus on subtle body sensations will increase as you move through the book, and these practices do increase in complexity. If paying attention to your body is new to you, Pursuing the program can have its ups and downs. Some practices may seem confusing or so subtle that you'll wonder whether you're accomplishing anything. Be assured, as long as you keep paying attention, you will make progress. Keep traveling through the book, skipping any practices you don't understand. When you return to them later, they will make more sense. Be gentle with yourself. Adopt the attributes of the best coaches. Patience, persistence, and a sense of humor. So uh, the reason I chose that part of the text is that these are very subtle and they do require a little bit of time to be worked with. So again, I'm just going to say it time and time again, look into getting this book. Um, this video is not going to be enough to really allow the work to sink in, but I assure you that by listening to this, you will get a very strong sense of what is happening here and whether or not it speaks to you, you'll know pretty much right away. And I I've talked to some people about this and they're like, I need that book. So, you know, this is what we're trying to do. I'm trying to get you to want this book because it is really stinking good. So getting into the practice part for this video, uh, the six posture zones, you have your internal ones, which are your pelvic floor, your core, and your breathing muscles, your diaphragm. That is your internal stabilization. That is how you ground yourself in your reality, how you feel secure within yourself. Then you have the outward mobility, which is your feet, your hands, and your head. These dictate how you reach out and affect the world, whether or not you have the courage and the heart to actually affect change in that, the things around you. Uh, this is how you manifest your life, is by these posture zones. So in order to really start this kind of exploration, I'm going to start us off with the very first chapter, which is awareness. So these are the practices that kind of help you drum up the level of awareness that it takes to really start sensing these subtle um, situations in your body. So 
This first chapter is called Your Conscious Body. If you need to pause to take some of this information in, I encourage you to uh, do these do these explorations. I'm going to give us some time, but if you want to really sit with it, just rewind the video or the recording wherever you're listening and do the exercise multiple times. Do it without the recording. Just really take some time to let this yoke into your experience. Uh, this episode is for practice. This episode, I am trying to open up a space for you to come more into direct contact with your body. That is my ultimate goal. This whole platform is to give you tools and techniques to meet the present moment more clearly, more fully. And this this experience that we're sharing together right now is an extension of that. So I encourage you, if you're out and about listening to this, maybe pause and wait until you actually have time to settle into this material. Um, you know, really, as, as I say, you know, drink back or kick back, drink some tea, open your heart. That is an invitation for you to enter into the present moment. Um, as with everything, the more of your time and energy that you give to these practices I'm about to share with you, the more full of an experience you're going to have. So this, this whole video is about you and your current moment. So yeah, I would say I'd encourage you to really Put this aside unless you actually have the time to do these practices. There's going to be a little bit of reading still, but I'm going to give you a lot of ample time to, you know, do the thing. So, chapter one, your conscious body. The capacity to tune into the rhythm, energy, and shape of someone else's movements let our ancient forebears discern friends from foe. Your empathetic recognition of another person's movement tells you who is climbing the stairs, the UPS man or your brother, by the sound of his footsteps. You might even know the mood he's in, depending on how well you know your UPS man, yet we rarely use our body reading skills on ourselves. Most of us ignore our bodies except when they hurt, or don't look or perform the way we want them to. The explorations in this chapter will help you tune into the rhythm, energy, shape, and mood of your own movements and identify ways in which you currently stabilize yourself in relation to gravity. The explorations involve two activities that are constantly shaping your posture. Every day we take up to 20,000 breaths and at least 10,000 steps. Walking and breathing are so ingrained in our behavior that most of us don't think of them as habits that might need changing. However, by walking and breathing as we do, we perpetuate our postural habits, good or bad. We stabilize our bodies, or how we stabilize our bodies determines both our potential for healthy breathing and our freedom to walk with efficiency and grace. We'll first examine your usual ways of breathing and walking, and then look at how stress influences both of those activities. Neutral breathing. This is uh, the introduction to the practice called neutral breathing. The movements of respiration vary depending on what happened we, let me restart. Neutrally. The movements of respiration vary depending on what you happen to be doing. You breathe differently, for example, when you're sleeping than when you're washing the car. For the most part, breathing is automatic. It happens whether you think about it or not. However, you also have voluntary control over your breathing that enables you to sing, snorkel, or stifle a yawn. The moment you think about your breathing, you interrupt the involuntary flow of it. So the experiment that follows can only give you an approximate sense of your breathing. Nonetheless, by developing curiosity about your breathing, you'll begin to catch glimpses of your involuntary habits. So this is the uh, exploration practice, as she calls it. So if you're reading this book while lying on the couch, you should sit up and do this exploration. The act of breathing is different when you are lying down than it is when you are sitting. And for now, we want to assess your breathing in ordinary waking situations. So physically, literally, take a good seat. I'll give you a second. Settling into the space that you are currently embodied in. Observe your inhalation and exhalation for several moments. Be curious about it as if it were a phenomena you'd never noticed before. In addition to sensations of air moving through your nasal passages, mouth, and throat, where else in your body can you feel the movement of your breathing? Close your eyes for deeper concentration 
and spend a minute observing the sensations of your breathing throughout your body. Then go on reading. You may have felt your belly moving out and in, your ribs widening in circumference, your chest rising and falling, possibly some movement of your shoulder blades, gliding away from each other or rising slightly as you inhale. You may have also had a sense of your whole body swelling slightly during the inhalation and then settling or shrinking on the exhalation, as if your skin surface got slightly bigger, then smaller, with each breath cycle. Because everything in your body is connected to everything else, you can sense the movement of your breathing in places distant from your lungs, in your wrists or ankles, for example. You'll learn about connective tissue, the medium through which this occurs in chapter two. If you weren't able to feel your breath far afield this time, don't worry, just know that such awareness is possible. She then goes into the anatomy of the diaphragm, which I will save for your own exploration. So where we are right now, studying the neutral breath as it is in your body and all the subtle association or sensations with it, this is how we increase our awareness, by really getting that sense of curiosity into how our body is automatically. If you want to stop and do that exploration again. You can pause the video and spend a little bit more time there. I'm going to keep it rolling, but you have access to that. You can always go back. You can pause. You can save it for later. So that is the first exploration, neutral breathing. The next exploration having discovered what your neutral breathing feels like, is called the stressful moment. In this exploration, you'll discover what happens to your neutral breathing when you're under stress. Recall a mildly irritating incident that occurred recently. Not a major trauma, but a simple irritation. Something like misplacing your keys or running out of cat food. Choose a situation that involved you alone, apart from a relationship with other people. Picture the situation in living color. Hear the sounds of the incident. Smell the smells. See your surroundings. Close your eyes and spend 20 seconds being present with your irritation. Then open your eyes and stretch the stressful feeling out of your body. Do this much before reading further. People who have studied martial arts, underwater sports, singing, or meditation may have learned to regulate their breathing under stress. But for most people, stress makes breathing shallower, faster, and higher in the chest. Compared with neutral breathing, you probably felt your diaphragm moving less. You use your diaphragm to stabilize your body in response to the imagined stress. Not a good use of your breathing muscle. What else did you notice? Did your body as a whole feel bigger or smaller than before? More spacious or more compact? More or less pliable? Fluid or graceful? How about your perceptions? Were you more or less aware of your surroundings? For most of you, the stressful moment will have closed both body and mind. Again, I'd encourage you, if you didn't sink into that practice deep enough, to pause the video and to explore that, just simply imagining an irritating moment and tuning into the subtle sensations that it creates within your breathing mechanism.
You can pause and then come back. Moving forward, the opposite of that practice, simple pleasure. The following experiment should counteract the results of the previous one. Recall a pleasurable moment that involved you alone. Don't conjure up a feeling of bliss or ecstasy, just the memory of a simple pleasure. The smell of freshly baked cookies, a starry night, a hot bath, or the sound of welcome rain. Let your body revel in the sensations. Continue reading when you've completely embodied your simple pleasure. You'll notice difference in your breathing between this and the previous experiment. This time, breathing will have felt slower, lower in the body, and more complete. Other sensations typical of pleasure are a feeling of openness in your throat, softening of your facial features, and relaxation in your belly along with a sense of increase in the width of your shoulders and chest and the length of your neck and spine. Your hands and arms might have felt looser, your legs and hips more connected with the rest of your body. In general, your body probably felt more open, more fluid, and more vulnerable. The feeling of vulnerability might take some getting used to, especially when you're around other people. Allowing your body its natural mobility can evoke feelings of exposure, embarrassment, and even shame. It can also foster your creativity and self-expression. Most of us learn to restrain the pleasure of aliveness when we were children, damping down our exuberance in order to sit still in school. Although studies suggest that students actually learn better when their bodies are allowed to move, our society continues to associate an expressive body with lack of discipline. Healing your posture might require that you revamp your relationship to cultural or religious views that demean the expression of sensual pleasure. When you consciously access a pleasurable body memory, you induce more space in your joints, more lift in your spine, and more grace in every move you make. Simple pleasures, then, are resources for transforming your posture. Wow. That's powerful. Again, I'd encourage you, if you need more space with those last three explorations, I consider those all together. Those are some of the awareness practices. The rest of this chapter is dedicated to recognizing your walk. So I'm going to leave that for the folks who are really turned on by this book and want to get it. The walking is very, very important. But I also want to pick practices that we can do together sitting down. So just so you know that those are there, you bring the awareness of the neutral breathing and how stress and how pleasure affect your posture and your, through your breath, and you bring all of that awareness to your, to your gait, to your walking. And she has beautiful ways to do that. But again, this is not the, the whole book. So I encourage you to give that a look. So that is what I'm going to cover for awareness. That was before the um, the six posture zones and we're going to go into the six posture zones because they are very important and interesting and i picked out some of my favorite ones uh this next one i believe yeah this next one literally changed the way that i sit and the way that i view my spine um, this one is huge. I've done a video on this on my personal Facebook a little bit ago, and this is something I teach a lot of my clients. This is really for helping lower back pain. Um, the, the first posture zone that she covers is your pelvic floor. So your pelvic floor is called your perineum, and she goes into a brief description, but it's essentially, well, I'll, I'll read the description, and then you can get a better sense of it. And this exploration is done while sitting, so if you are standing or whatever you find yourself doing, find a nice chair with a flat uh, surface so that you can really tune into the subtle sensations here. Again, this is the pelvic floor posture zone, the lowest of the internal posture zones. 
So this is called the pelvic floor diamond. This is so important. If you have low back pain, listen up, because this is going to change the way you sit. If you're an office worker, this is huge. So your pelvic diamond. The pelvic floor, sometimes called the perineum, is a diamond-shaped area defined by four bony landmarks, the two sit bones, the pubic bone, and the coccyx. I think that's how you say it, the tailbone. A muscular sling extends across the area and divides it into two triangles. The one in front is called the urogenital triangle. The one in the back is called the anal triangle. Because it is penetrated by the urethra, vagina, and anus, the pelvic floor is the outlet for the visceral core of the body. The pelvic floor muscles draw inward and upward to prevent urinary flow. Most women have learned to duplicate this action as an exercise called the Kegel named after the obstetrician Arnold Kegel. The movement helps restore function when the pelvic floor tissues have been damaged in childbirth. Many people, and not just women, have solved either sexual dysfunction or urinary incontinence by strengthening the perennial muscles. It is important to distinguish between the muscles of the pelvic floor and those immediately surrounding it. Activity in the perineum itself does not change the inclination of the pelvis. But because the bones defining the pelvic floor are attached to the muscles of the buttocks and thighs, tension in those muscles does affect the orientation of the pelvic floor. This following exploration will help you experience different orientations of your pelvis when you are sitting. So the first one is the pelvic floor diamond. Sit in an office chair or dining room chair without leaning against the chair back. Then contract your buttocks and the back of your thighs. Notice how this action rolls your whole pelvis backward. Your weight now rests on the back triangle, tailbone and lower buttocks. Your sits bones seem to have moved closer together, narrowing the anal triangle. Now relax the contraction of your buttocks and thighs and roll your pelvis forward so that your trunk is poised over the front triangle. This seems to spread your sit bones slightly apart from each other and tips your pubic bone down toward the seat. Your weight rests now on the back of your upper thighs, just in front of your sit bones. Notice also that the tiny space between your anus and coccyx has lengthened. There's a tiny ligament there, the anococcygeal ligament. I encourage you to pause the video maybe rewind it and hear that again if that was a little fast. Essentially, sitting on a chair without your back touching the back of the chair, contract your buttocks and feel how your center of gravity shifts to the backside and then letting go and kind of tilting forward, moving more onto the thighs. If you've paused and came back, we're going to continue. The anal triangle exploration. For many people, relaxation of the anococcygeal area is the single most important key to healing their posture. The movements of this exploration are so slight that someone watching you might not notice that you are moving. But the difference in the tension of your pelvic floor can have far-reaching effects to your spine and overall posture. Shorten the space between your anus and coccyx by imagining your anococcygeal ligament getting very short. Shorten the space between your anus and coccyx by imagining your anococcygeal ligament getting very short. Notice how this makes your pelvis roll slightly backward. Now reverse the direction. Imagine the space lengthening to allow more room in the anal triangle. This lets your pelvis roll forward so that your pubic bone can rest down. Repeat this exploration. This time, pay attention to corresponding changes in the curve of your lower back. When you roll back, closing the anal triangle, you, your lower back flattens, your chest drops, and your feet probably feel more placed on the floor. However, when your pelvic floor is open, your lower back curves forward, your chest lifts, and your legs will feel like, likely feel grounded. 
Notice also that the open orientation of your pelvic floor can make it easier to breathe. This short exploration demonstrates how one posture zone affects the others. That was the exploration. I'm going to read a few paragraphs after to further elaborate on the importance of this. Shouldn't my spine be straight? By now you will have noticed that the curve of the lower back changes with different inclinations of the pelvis. Healthy sitting calls for slight forward tilt of the pelvis. This inclination causes a gentle forward curve of the lower back, which many of us have been taught is wrong. To understand the structural logic of the forward pelvic alignment, we need to correct some misconceptions about the mechanics of our spines. When a standing body is well aligned, gravity's vector travels through its central core. Most of you have seen illustrations of good posture in which the ear, tip of shoulder, and centers of the hip, knee, and ankle joints are plumb. For many years, physical educators taught vertical alignment by positioning the spine itself in a straight line. Students were taught to flatten their backs against a wall. While well-educated fitness professionals no longer use this approach, it still influences cultural beliefs about posture. The 24 vertebrae of the spine overlap one another like shingles. Their individual contours and articulations give the spine three natural curves. The shape of two forward curves and the convex surfaces facing front is called lordosis. They occur in the cervical vertebrae of the neck and the lumbar vertebrae of the lower back. The concavity of the upper back is called kyphosis. The curves in the spine provide shock absorption. If you walk with a pronounced heel strike, every step sends an impact up and into the spine. By distributing the pressures of locomotion, the curvatures help prevent damage to the vertebral discs, the cartilage, I can't say that word, cartilaginous cushions between vertebra, and protect the delicate internal organs that are suspended from the front of the spine. Restriction in any of the curvatures creates compensatory, compensatory tension in the muscles and fascia of the curves above or below. Also because the sacrum, the base of the spine, is in the back of the pelvis, the inclination of the pelvis also affects the curvatures. When you rock your pelvis back toward your anal triangle, diminishing your natural lordosis, this position of your pelvis is called backwards tilt. Sitting or standing with a backward pelvic tilt for extended periods of time puts uneven pressure on the lumbar discs, unduly stretches the sacroiliac joints, stresses spinal muscles, and compromises the curves in the upper spine and neck. This is the inevitable result of stabilizing the trunk by closing the pelvic floor. When you rock your pelvis forward toward the urogenital triangle, you increase your lumbar lordosis. This angle of the pelvis is known as forward pelvic tilt. Exaggerated forward tilt compresses the lumbar vertebra and prevents them from articulating property. But a mild forward tilt gives the lumbar vertebra the best mechanical advantage for both stability and movement. A gentle curve is the neutral position for the lumbar spine. So that last exercise of rocking between the two ends of the diamond, the pelvic diamond, restore the natural curve of your lumbar spine, which helps the shock absorption mechanism of the spine. When we slouch, if you just slouch right now, you can feel your spine straighten. Your lower, the lumbar spine is the lowest part of your spine, your low back. And when that straightens, you're conditioning it to not be as effective of a shock absorber. When you are sitting all day for eight hours a day with a straightened lumbar spine, you are degenerating your ability to transmit the shock of walking. And it actually has a lot of dysfunction. So by rolling to the front of our sit bones, we are cultivating healthy curve in the spine. That's huge. If you really grok that, if you really felt the sensation and the openness, that's huge. Um, especially in a society where everybody is sitting, as I'm sitting right now. I'm doing this all, uh, all live. I don't edit. I don't cut like that. So that was the posture zone of the pelvic floor. 
the breathing muscles are the next one. This is referring to your diaphragm, which is this dome-like muscle that kind of lowers and raises, which allows your lungs to fill with air. So reading a little bit about that, we moved up from the floor to the diaphragm, and then from there we will go to the core. You may already be aware that you don't breathe right. Poor breathing habits develop when we misuse the rep respiratory system to make ourselves feel stable in an unstable world. Like all living creatures, predators, and prey, humans free their bodies in response to an emergency. As we strain to catch the next sound or the next glint of light, our stillness stabilizes our eyes and ears for sharp, sharp perception and quick reaction. By playing dead, we can render ourselves invisible. We also hold our bodies still to restrain anger, block fear, or contain the energy of an overwhelming situation. We hold still to keep emotion from bubbling over and revealing our private selves. We still our bodies with shallow breathing or by not breathing at all. Although appropriate in a crisis such as an emergency breathing often overrides the steady ebb and flow of our normal respiration. Emergency breathing can become an insidious habit that distorts posture and damages health. In chapter two, you learned about the posture zones include structures that lie perpendicular to your body's central axis. When overly constricted, these horizontal stabilizers can close your body around its core. In chapter three, you experience improvements to your posture by releasing one of these regions, your pelvic floor, which is what we just did. In this chapter, you explore the horizontally oriented diaphragm. You'll see how healthy breathing contributes to open stabilization of your posture and how poor breathing interferes with everything you do and feel. Spiritual teachers of every tradition emphasize the importance of mastering one's breathing as a key to balanced living and as well to achieving higher states of consciousness. Contemporary Westerners take breathing for granted. We are too busy to breathe well. Only when we have some respiratory problem, a head cold, or labored breathing from unusual exertion do we pay much attention to it. Good or poor breathing habits affect every aspect of our body's functioning, from our mental state to our digestive efficiency. Breathing is central to our posture and to the way that we move. It has huge influence on our appearance, health, mental outlook, emotional resilience, and capacity to manage stress. Dysfunctional breathing is so rampant in Western culture that it amounts to an epidemic. And now we have a pandemic, which also affects that. But this is 2005, so they don't got that yet. Take a moment to explore how you breathe. As you remember from chapter one, trying to observe your breath without controlling it is like trying to lay hands on your shadow. However, the attempt will give you clues about your unconscious habits. And those clues will help you recognize what you're doing in actual circumstances. I'm only going to do one exercise from here. Quiet breathing. So you're going to need a comfortable chair that you can rest back in. Like, leaning back. Give you a moment. You can pause the video. You can rewind. There's a cat behind me, huh? Oh, hey, Meeks. Yep, that's Meeks. Rest back into a comfortable chair with your head supported. You should be in a position that is half sitting and half lying down. Rest one hand lightly on your upper chest and the other hand on your lower chest just above your abdomen. So like this. Breathe in and out in a comfortable, ordinary way. Notice which of your hands moves first when you inhale. This observation indicates your preference for chest or belly breathing. Now take a deep breath. I just read that one. Next, while breathing normally, estimate the length of your inhalations and exhalations. Does it take longer to breathe in or out? You can place a clock nearby so that you can count the ticks of the second hand. This is easier than the usual 1-1000-2-1000 method. As you continue breathing comfortably, notice where there are pauses in your breathing. You may find a pause after inhalation, exhalation, or both. Describe the effort involved in your inhalation. Does it feel like you are pulling air inside, or does breathing in feel easy, requiring only that you be open to the welcome of the air? If your inhalation involves effort, 
where do you sense it? In your shoulders, neck, chest, or belly? Now, describe the effort of your exhalation. Do you push the air out or simply let it go? Notice whether the outflow of air feels smooth and continuous. Again, this is an awareness practice that can really help us learn what our breathing mechanism is. This is more detailed than the neutral breathing. We're able to actually get a little bit more nuance. She goes into the me mechani mechanisms of breathing and the chemistry um, and how it affects your posture. It's quite a long chapter, so I'm not going to be doing that. So that is what I'm going to be covering for that posture zone, the breathing. So we've covered the core of releasing your anal triangle. We have covered the awareness practice of seeing what your breathing pattern is like. And now we're going to be moving on to the hands. I'm making a snap decision to skip the core because I'm going to be honest, I don't have the strongest connection to my core. And I really don't want to teach you anything that I don't personally know myself. But the core is extremely important. And it's something that I'm working on with yoga. If you listen to the last episode, you'll hear me kind of riff on that a little bit. But going to the hands. Do, 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 do. This chapter is called Your Heart's Messengers. Again, we talked about the hands being the way that you interact with the world. The posture of your shoulders is going to change the way that you open up your heart to situations and people. So they really are the way that we use our heart to engage with the world. So hands provide our primary interface with our surroundings. Reaching out to touch things is how infinites, infants explore the world. It's how they learn about the space between objects. Successive manipulation of objects gives them a beginning grasp of the concept of time. Scientists now believe that the evolution of the brain is inextricably linked with the evolution of the hand. It is even possible that the sequential thinking necessitated by the manipulation of tools is what stimulated prehistoric humans to create words and language. It may be that our hands hold the essence of our humanity. Your body's vertical posture is the embodiment of your personal stance. Stabilizing your stance has been the focus of our discussion so far. In this chapter, we will address the social dimension of our bodies as expressed through the shoulders and arms. While a balanced stance supports effective expression, your stance also depends on the capacity of the upper limbs to reach out for things and people, and when necessary, to push them away. Because your shoulders link your hands to your body's core, we begin our exploration of the hands by studying the shoulders. Unless your shoulders are free to move, impulses from your core can't be clearly or strongly carried to your hands. In the second part of this chapter, we'll discover how your touch, gentle, sentient, hasty, or forceful, influences how you stand and move. Hopefully you're getting a really good sense of how amazing this book is. It's it changing your perceptions by bringing them into your body. It's brilliant. So this exploration is a tour of your shoulders. Intense focus on a task overrides body awareness. You see this when you thread a needle or search the internet. Your hands become so merged with the task that they seem to be separate from your body. Allison's hands have gotten away from her as she reaches for the chandelier. Her shoulder blades fail to secure her arms to their mooring of her spine. To understand this, we will briefly tour the structures that make up the shoulders. Your two collarbones and shoulder blades, these are your collarbones, and your shoulder blades are your scapula in the back. You, you know what they are. The clavicle and scapulas, respectively, form a girdle that encircles the top of your spine and rib cage. At the base of your throat is a notch formed by the intersection of your breastbone and your two collarbones. Place your left thumb in this notch and left forefinger right next to it on the head of your right clavicle right here. Now reach your right hand forward, back, up, and down, as if you're wielding a hairdryer. Feel how your clavicle adjusts to every motion. I have a desk here, it's hard to... 
What you are experiencing is the fact that your hands and arms are suspended from the top of your chest. The spot you're touching between the collarbone and breastbone is the only place where your arms connect bone on bone to your trunk. Otherwise, your arms depend on soft tissue to hold them in place. Now, walk the fingers of your left hand out along your right collarbone until they come to a flat surface. This epaulet-like outcropping is upper and outer corner of your shoulder blade. The clavicle and scapula abut here to form the most easily dislocated joint in your body. Right here. Your scapulas are the two triangle-shaped plates that lie on the back of your upper rib cage, held there by muscle and connective tissue. Just below the scapula's bony epaulets are shallow sockets into which your arm bones fit. Yeah, they're there. The mobile construction of your shoulder girdle contrasts markedly to secure fittings of the pelvic girdle. Your thigh bones fit into deeply recessed sockets on your pelvis, and your sacrum fits tightly between two ilia. The looser design of the shoulder renders your hands and arms free to explore your surroundings and express your feelings. It also gives them room to develop bad habits. Your shoulders are not designed to stabilize your stance. In fact, when your shoulders, arms, or hands are used to hold you together, they sabotage the open posture you've been trying to achieve. The next several explorations will help you evaluate your shoulder tension. Closing the shoulders. Recall a morning when you were shivering with cold. Draw your arms close to your sides as if you were trying to keep warm now. Most likely, your rib cage will narrow, your pelvic floor tighten, and your breath move into your upper rib cage. Although you don't maintain this degree of tension in daily life, experiencing it reveals how tension in your arms imprisons your core. That's pretty important. Shoulder exploration, expression. While maintaining a small amount of cold morning tension in your shoulders, reach your arms out as if opening them to an embrace. Chances are you can neither make the gesture nor feel the feeling. Your heart sits at the intersection of your outstretched arms and, and your stance. Your arm's horizontal action reflects your relationship to the world outside yourself. Extending your hands out into space symbolizes freedom to express your feelings. This freedom relies on an open, stabilized core, a secure foundation, which we explore in chapter 7, and your shoulder girdle's capacity to deliver the impulse intended to your heart, by your heart to its messengers, the hands. So that's just going to be where I'm at with, with the arms and the hands is just really understanding how it's connected. This was already such a profound sensation. When you feel that, it's like, oh, I didn't really realize that my arm is, goes into right here. Um, and then the sensation of closing, like you're cold and then trying to reach out. You know, we there's a lot of things in life that kind of compress us like this, so we're a lot of people, when we make ourselves small, when we feel small and like our voice isn't important or needed, that's, that's the energetic we're bringing in. And it does affect the way that you engage and communicate to the world. So again, this chapter is also very long and goes into your shoulder blade and how your serratus anterior is actually always should be used when you're doing anything with your arms and how to engage that. That's huge. Oftentimes we use up here, and that's how you get a lot of neck pain. So that is your hands, your feet. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this. This is a different kind of video for me uh, to go through these practices. And I know I'm, I'm kind of going a little bit long. There's a lot of content that I'm putting into this hour video. So I really encourage you to rewind and listen to the instruction a few times and then do it. Just pause the video and then just do it on your own. Really allow your awareness to enter your moment more than just like trying to keep up. So this is a kind of a trajectory, uh, directory of all these practices. So in this chapter, we're on to feet. So that was arms, we are now at feet. In this chapter, we will explore various ways in which our feet are the foundation of our being. First, we will examine the anatomical features that let us transfer body weight through our feet in walking. We will also work on the alignment of the feet with the knees, hips, and spine. Toward the end of the chapter, we will explore the feet as organs of perception, the root, balance, and a 
adapt in adapt us to the ground. So this is self-assessment. You will need to stand barefooted. So I will give you a moment to do that. If you want to arise from your chair, take off your shoes or your socks if you're in a place that can. Otherwise, maybe save this one for later. You can also just listen to the direction and then do it at home. Hydration, super important. All right. Y'all set? You ready? Can we go? Okay. Stand in bare feet and pay attention to the pressure of your body's weight against the floor. Stand upright and gaze forward, not down at the ground. Do you feel more pressure on your heels or on the front of your feet? Do you bear more weight to the outer edges of your feet or more to the inside edges? Does one foot feel deeper set into the floor as if it is bearing more weight? Now observe yourself while walking. This might be something you have to do after. Or not. Where does your heel meet the ground? Squarely in the center or to the outer or inner heel edge? Are both heels the same? Consider the middle region of your foot, commonly called the arch. Are you aware of sensation there as you walk? Do you push off from your toes with a sense that they are actively participate in your stride? Or do you passively roll them over or scrunch them when you walk? Do you feel the most pressure on the ball of your big toe? Or can you feel other toes working as well? This is another long chapter. This one's good. This, uh, quick uh, description. In addition to being your physical foundation, your feet are perceptual organs. By orienting your body to the earth, your feet let you know where down is. Although obvious, this is something we do not always fully sense. The sole of each foot has more than 7,000 nerve endings that work together with countless sensors in the ankle joint for precise negotiation of your balance. Your feet, like your hands, are skin-telligent in a way that is similar to how sensation in your hands activates your serratus muscle, which I mentioned the serratus. Sensations in your feet stimulates the muscles of your inner corset, which is a part of the core, which I skipped over. I'm sorry. The following exploration will amplify the sensations in your feet. So the idea that your feet are perceptual was actually something I covered in my conversation, The Wholeness Through Movement with Andreas from Origins of Health. Uh, his whole primal body movement practice is about getting really low to the ground and being barefoot. It establishes a sense of safety. It brings us back to our inner childhood. Uh, these perceptual memories that we have when we enter into these forms, oftentimes we have emotions that are stuck in them. So by connecting to your feet in a way where you remember that they are perceptual, that's really powerful, and it can change the entire way that you move through space. So don't overlook the feats. The last posture zone that we're going to cover today is head. Thank you so much for sticking all the way through. I know this is a long one, but again, everything that I've walked you through, if you spend time with it, could really change the way that you orient in life in a really powerful way. This book had a massive impact on a lot of the things that I did. So this last chapter is called Facing the World. This is in relation to your head. She talks a lot about the occipital muscles, which are at the back of your skull. If you reach back and you feel that bony protuberance, underneath that are eight muscles called the suboccipitals. And those are what balance your noggin, your skull on your neck. So it stabilizes your entire orientation. Everything that you do is because of those muscles. But the one I'm going to be covering is facial tensions. Because I've been having a lot of jaw stuff going on. So let's, let's talk about our face. The following explorations will help you become acquainted with tensions that you might be harboring in your face. 
When you meet a tension that seems familiar, adopt that exploration as a healthy posture practice. So I'm only going to be covering the jaw and the tongue tensions because it's relevant to my life, and uh, that's what I do. So sitting comfortably, trace your mandible with your fingertips, starting just in front of your ears and following around the angle of your jaw to your chin. Your mandible is your jawbone here. So starting in front of your ears, that's going to be right here, following the angle of your jaw to your chin. Get a sense of what a substantial bone this is. Open your mouth slightly and let your mandible hang slack for a few moments. Appreciate its distinct presence, separate from the rest of your head. Feel its weight. That's nice. Then close your lips gently, leaving space between your upper and lower back molar teeth and retaining your sense of the mandible's weight. Touch your lips together so lightly that you can't be sure whether they are touching. Soften the floor of your mouth. And appreciate how large the inside of your closed mouth can be when you relax your jaw. The suggestions in the previous paragraphs will help you relax your temporal mandibular joint. That's good. Typically, this makes the cheeks feel longer or fuller than usual. Compare the sensation with the way your jaw usually feels. Notice whether it affects your throat or your chest. Now, become aware of your tongue. Allow it to be flat and broad at the root. Let it rest like a puddle along the floor of your mouth. Notice how relaxing your tongue affects your throat and your breathing. Because the mouth opens into your lungs and digestive tract, Tension in your jaw or tongue can relay down through your respiratory and digestive core. Feel what occurs internally when your tongue assumes a different shape or presses against the roof of your mouth. So, she goes into a lot. There's your nose and palate, you have your jaw and inner ear, distinguishing your cranium and face, narrow focus and open focus for your eyes, releasing eye tension, receptive eyes, eye level. Um, each of these chapters has so much. I literally gave you the very first exploration. She goes very into depth into all of these posture zones. If you felt anything interesting during this video, if any of these exercises really spoke to you, and you had a light bulb moment, that's a good sign to get this book. Hopefully, you had at least one experience. There's a lot of exercises that we just covered, and they are 116. Like, there's a freaking lot of exercises. It's a thick book. A lot of stuff going on here. Again, this is The New Rules of Posture by Mary Bond, How to Sit, Stand, and Move in the Modern World. I wanted to spend as long as I did this week on this because I genuinely believe that body work, breath work, movement, posture is the medicine of the future. How we bring our perception into our body changes the way we interact with the world in a more grounded and expressive way. This is work I'm really passionate about. This platform of 21st century vitalism is breathing air into this. My episode with Tom Myers on spatial medicine. I genuinely think, and I don't want to draw false equivalents, but um, we don't have shamanism in this country in large enough of a scale to administer the medicine to the people who need it most. 
but what we do have is kinesthetic education. We have these awareness practices that can ground us, that can process trauma and emotions and really connect us to the world in a profound and beautiful way. This is the merging of meditation and science of the thousands of years of yoga and Tai Chi all into something that is secular, that is radically accessible and profound. This is profound stuff. You don't need to be a body worker. You don't need to be in fitness. You have a human body. I know you have pain of some kind. Before getting into treatments that are very invasive, surgeries, try this. This could potentially change the way you feel pain. This could change the way you have relationships. I've experienced the benefit in my life. And this is just one book. This is an important line of work. So thank you so much for joining me and allowing me to walk you through these practices. This is new for me, this style of video. All of my book reviews so far have been very much um, quicker. <laughs> so really having the space for us to practice together is important, and I want to really continue cultivating that skill. So... Let me know what you think. If you have feedback on this style of episode, this delivery that I go too fast, was something not clear, were the passages I'm reading not effective at conveying, let me know, please. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to continue going down this path of guiding you into your body through different methodologies and practices. For those in Grand Rapids, I have body work. I offer meditation. If you want to work with that, go to the website and there's contact forms and we can start meditating together. That's something we're going to cover in a later week, but I would really want to make this a practice-based platform. So thank you so much for joining me. Uh, next week, we have a really, really dope episode. I have some amazing people coming onto the show to share their practices of cultivating aliveness. This year is already shaping up to be bigger than last year i believe in every single episode i've done but these people i'm telling you what you'll see and you're gonna be like whoa he wasn't lying these people are great and we're just gonna keep this thing rolling we're gonna keep talking about how to be alive how to best serve our communities and help alleviate the suffering that we have right now it all starts from here and this stuff like this is how we maintain connection to here so thank you so much i hope you have a great week be well